Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing tonight is The Scarlet Gospels by Clive Barker. Uh, because he's a relatively unknown name uh, in pop culture, I'm going to read his bio for you. Clive Barker is a legendary author. Oh, see, I was wrong right off the bat. <laughs> Uh, legendary author, filmmaker, and visual artist. His acumen as a horror writer has been praised as some of the most influential to pop culture in recent times. Stephen King hailed Barker as the future of horror. His Books of Blood series and his novella The Hellbound Heart, which inspired the Hellraiser movies, have amassed a global cult following and cemented their place in pop culture history. Rob, do you, have you ever read anything by Clyde Barker? Um, now I can absolutely say yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so that was the test for the litmus test for this episode. Is that you know, if you said no, we would have had a we would have had kind of an issue. <laughs> then we've been. Oh, this is an interlude. Turns out, <laughs> two things I'd like to say before we go any farther. Um, I, uh, much as I would imagine most um, fans of Clive Barker's writing, um, have been looking forward to this. Ten years, ten years. This has been in the works. Ten years ago, he started talking about a, a massive, epic pinhead novel, um, and uh, it's here. So, so we preface the rest of the review by saying, "I've been waiting for this a really, really long time." Second of all, Brandon Teets mentioned um, on Twitter mentioned there was a game that people should be playing while, while they listen to our episodes, <laughs> and I am not. I am not opposed to this. Now, I do try to mute my microphone as frequently as possible. But in the event that you happen to hear me vaping, which is using an electronic cigarette for the uninitiated, it sounds a lot like this. Please take a drink of whatever alcoholic beverage you have. If it's 6 in the morning, you're on your way to work, go ahead and get into your little flask and just take a sip, and we'll see where this goes. That's right. So, Rob, um, for a while, thought I was Darth Vader. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. I thought he had like a, a tuberculosis or something. There was like a <laughs> respirator. Um, I don't care enough to edit those out. And sometimes it's while I'm talking. So I figured like there's enough of it that makes it in by virtue of the fact that I can't just start cutting out parts of conversation that I just don't care. And I leave it in. Listen, if you were with me in person, you'd hear it all the time. Oh, f- fucking believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's like being in a room with me. So Brandon Teat, stop your complaining what i'm really trying to say yeah yeah quit your bitching all right can we talk about the most anticipated horror novel of the the new millennium yeah i'm sure there's a synopsis that will kind of explain it to people the gates to hell are open and something beckons the last of earth's magicians are living in fear a cenobite hell priest known as pinhead is killing them off gorging on their knowledge to enhance his own magical powers as part of a quest to take over hell Meanwhile, private investigator Harry Damore is fulfilling the final wishes of the dead who communicate with his business associate, the blind medium Norma Payne. But while investigating one such case, Harry inadvertently opens up a rift between hell and the real world. When Nemesis Pinhead emerges through the portal, a vicious battle ensues. After failing to enlist Harry as one of his Scarlet Gospels, an elite group of indefatigable... Indefatigable? Indefatigable? Those messengers who will witness his takeover of hell. Pinhead captures Norma, and Harry realizes he must go through hell, literally, to save her. Literally. Literally. Because it's a, it's a book. Not literarily. Oh. Like, Does this make any li- sense to you? Literal hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, Indefatigable. Um, like, 
I, I'm, I'm guessing like inexhaustible. Like sure. they cannot be fatigued. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I have, I have, I don't know. So, yes. Um. Uh, Livius. Yes. You're familiar with with the, the the all of the characters, right? Um. No. Okay. So. <laughs> great. That's a good start. <laughs> I'm familiar with Pinhead, and I am familiar with um, um, Harry Damore. And um, some of the other ones sound I, the guy who like does Harry's tattoos. Is it Kaz? Kaz. Yeah. Um, I, I remember Kaz probably from the the Great and Secret show. I don't remember from one of them vaguely, but I mean a lot of this stuff I read twenty plus years ago. So side characters really don't. So, yeah. um, but you. Do, so do you know? Uh, are all of these characters pre-existing, or are there new ones? I, I believe that they're all pre. I, I think, except for um, God, I forget his name. I should have better notes. The guy he meets in the get the dreamer, the guy who has dreams. I think he might be new, but then again, he could be from another Clyde Barker short story. For oh, all I know, Dale. I, yeah, Dale. That's the one. The gay Dale. Gay Dale. All right. So, um, can we just say? I was thinking about this, and I was thinking of a way. And I was trying to think of how to what to put this against as far as like how vile and disgusting it can be <laughs> and Lovius is much more well read especially in the in the horror world than I am so I'm sure this is just a walk in the park for him I don't typically read things that are this um uh grotesque but uh kind of like the opening of Lords of Salem BK Evanson kind of comes yes. to mind yeah that does uh, the beginning of the book just starts out where um, it's, it's these almost like a cabal of magicians, and it's the the last remaining like five are raising, resurrecting uh, one of their other magicians that was uh, that was killed a few years ago by Pinhead because uh, he is just killing the shit out of these magicians, and they're trying to find a way to survive, and uh, and so. The book starts out at the very beginning is, uh, which I guess is the prologue, right? Mm-hmm. Is like a is like a four or five chapter little um, prologue of these magicians raising this this magician who, uh, my impression is he was kind of tough shit when he was alive. Um, who was killed by Pinhead, the Hell Priest, um, and they're they're raising him to help you know. <laughs> Help, help them kind of survive or defeat Pinhead or whatever, and, and <laughs> his response when he finds out that's why he's back is just if, if you ask me, it was just such a nice tone to set for the book, which, can I say what he said? Sure. In not so many words, he basically said, like, you guys are fucked, you just give up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what a waste of my time. You guys are totally boned. That's like pretty much it. So it's like, you raised me for this? So, um, of course, as I pretty much expected when I saw a group of them together, I was like, oh, yeah, Pinhead's going to appear really early and fuck these people up. And guess what? Pinhead appears really early in this book and fucks these people up. Now, I did. I want to say I did watch the first Hellraiser movie. You did. Let's talk about that, shall we? So, um, uh, do you want to know what the source I finally found for it was? Uh, what is that? 
Because I, I here's the thing. I was kind of waffling on whether I wanted to spend like the thirteen bucks for it or not. Mm-hmm. If I just bought it from iTunes, that kind of thing. So, um, it's on YouTube. The full movie. <laughs> that's that's not surprising. I um I had reason. <laughs> okay, so um to go back an episode, Mark Danielewski signs his book with a Z. Yeah, like and, Zorro. Uh, yeah, he likes Zorro. So. Um, Kevin Helmick had posted a picture of the the signed copy that that he has of it, and, and my comment was, I, I always wanted to get a book signed by Zorro. Now, I'm a huge Zorro fan, and I have been my entire life. <laughs> One of my favorite um, variations of Zorro is Zorro the Gay Blade, George Hamilton, circa 1980-ish, 1981. And um, yeah, I watched about half the movie on YouTube. <laughs> The other night because it's all on youtube but it's in like seven parts you watch like 15 minutes and then have to like find the next one. Oh, dude this was like one clip just boom full oh nice hour and a half it was actually pretty good at high, i think it was high definition too well what, what did you think <sighs> it's a little bit weird it's very 80s um i yeah, will it's say very that dated. having recently watched the thing um because of reading the last projector uh, there was something about the 80s where, like, making just grotesque and disfigured monsters was, like, the thing to do. I think they finally had, and when I say technology, I, I use it kind of loosely. I think there was a really serious um, special effects makeup kind of breakout in the 80s that people really wanted to push to its limits. There there must have been some innovation going on. With, like, um, kind of a crossover of animatronics and, and makeup and stuff like that. Yeah, there, there, there must have been something going on behind the scenes because you're right. And, and they, they pushed the envelope a lot um, to the point where sometimes a lot of those movies almost seemed like they were about the effects and less about the story. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have these effects. We really need to use them. Write something that fits. Yeah, so, kind of felt like the, that. Um, the reason I really wanted you to watch this, I wanted you to have the, the vision of Doug Bradley and that voice in your head when he's talking and to kind of get an idea of what the, the lament configuration is, you know, the, the box. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it um, In so much as I don't know how this book would come across to somebody who's not at all familiar, although I'm pretty sure that there's not too many people who would be listening that aren't familiar with Pinhead. I, I wouldn't think. <laughs> we're all familiar with some kind of Pinhead, but we're talking about... Yes, yeah, very nice. So, can, all right. So, <laughs> at the risk of spoiling the prologue, Pinhead fucks these people up, as I think I may have mentioned. But he he does it in a way that's a little different than at least the first few Hellraiser movies, which they all went to shit after two. Like two was okay, three had some good moments, and after that it was all downhill. But he has spent years. Um, taking their magic and when I say that not like he takes it directly from them but he would kill them and then steal all of their um, sacred grimoires and, and these magic books that they had and he would torture them for like how to do things so that he could amass basically all of the magic in, in the world and he's done so and he kind of demonstrates that by um, really tearing the, these people up. The most interesting piece which is um, in my opinion a, a huge fault in the book too that we'll talk about later is he um, he forces a man magician <laughs> and a woman magician to have sex, um, which is terrible, right? But he ensures that she's impregnated, and through the course of about 15 minutes of story, she not only gives birth, but this child grows to... Uh, was it really adult, teen? I don't know, but the yeah. child grows in, in years over the course of 15 to... what seems like 15 to 20 minutes of story time. 
Um, so he has these amazing powers now that that stretch beyond the the things that we're familiar with from you know any previous pinhead movies, stories, books, sightings. It's pretty weird. But you didn't mention why this is a fault of the book. Is that we're going to talk about that later, or do you want to just? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Let's okay. let's leave. Let's, let's right, get well, some well. more story, and then we can pick this apart a little bit. So the prologue kind of ends with um, the shit getting fucked up, and you kind of understand that uh, we're at the point where Pinhead has defeated all of these magicians in the world and has basically collected and consumed all of their knowledge. So. He has all the power of all the magic in the world, essentially. Um, and then we cut to Harry, right? Yes. Harry Diamore, like uh, Livia said, he's kind of like a detective, like a private investigator. And um, the beginning of the book is essentially uh, kind of split between he's taking on a new case. So he, he has a, a friend, Norma who is blind but can see and speak with the recently deceased, or is it pretty much anybody dead? Seems like it's anybody dead. And um, she kind of makes a living of comforting or consoling or consulting with um, recently dead people so that they kind of know what they're supposed to do, like people who died and their souls remain because of some tragedy or whatever it happens to be. Um, And she against her better judgment, decides to bring Harry in on a case with this one rich guy who kind of has some dirty secrets that he wants hidden from his wife because he thinks it'll kind of... He died uh, unexpectedly, and um, if his wife finds out some things, she'll be devastated, and he doesn't want her to live with that. So that's one of the things we start out with. And the other part is um, when we're actually seeing the Harry character, we're going to a kind of a flashback of when he was uh, a police officer. Yeah, so there's a little bit of an origin story there, and and um, yeah, you know, we kind of see Harry a little bit of an explanation of his childhood and how he kind of has this weird ability to see things or feel things that are supernatural that that the rest of us might um, walk right past something that's going on on the street because it's happening on a supernatural level. But Harry is uh, is sensitive to this, so um, he's a cop and and he loses a partner and and you know this demon basically attacks his partner and, and kills him and. So we get a little bit of backstory. Well, all right. Yeah. Uh, just remembering what happened. <laughs> it's gruesome. He kills him. The demon kills him, and then masturbates on him. Basically, <laughs> is, is is from what what happens. So uh, that's the kind of book that we're we're reviewing here. So, um, uh, yeah. The the uh, but back to the the present. Um, the ghost has asked Norma to ask someone to go and kind of um, dispose of some evidence at a, at a house that he keeps um, in, in New Orleans um, where he basically has, I don't know, I guess sex with men mostly, right? That was the impression I got. Yeah, it's kind of like a gay sex, like escape house kind of thing, like secret house. Yeah, kind of dungeony, <laughs> like some weird shit goes on there. Um and uh, lo and behold, not surprising, when, when he, he got into the torture room, I, I kind of had a feeling I knew what was going to happen. And, and sure enough, the, the lament configuration shows up in, in the house. And Harry feels compelled, like most people, to, um, to play with the puzzle box. And soon enough, the puzzle box kind of takes on a mind of its own and opens the door to hell. And um, for anybody that's seen Hellraiser, you get the blue light peeking in through slats and the, you know, whatever. There's always blue light. 
Um, and then these fucking Cenobites show up, right? Cenobites? They're Cenobites. Yeah. Now, typically, uh, in my knowledge, it's not just usually one. But what is a Cenobite? Let's just dig into that a little bit first. They're priests of hell, right? Yep. And they just exist to, like, torture people, bring about the most pain possible or something like that? I guess. Or they Here's, rule over pleasure and pain or something like that? Yes. So, yeah, the, the whole thing is, and, and, and what I love, and I left this in the notes for later, one of the things I really liked about this book was kind of a... Maybe a little bit of a throwaway line, but yeah, basically pleasure seekers are always the ones that are looking for the the the, the box, the the toy. There are more than one. There's um, there's kind of a whole backstory. I don't know. They're they're Le Marchand or whatever his name is, is the French guy who created these. The one that we focus on is basically always the same one through the movies and in this book, which specifically is called the 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 Lament configuration. Um. It's always like like pleasure seekers, I and mean, the pleasure seekers usually cross over into that pain kind of S and M E kind of stuff. But the thing I loved is there's kind of a throwaway line where the the omnipotent narrator's like, "Yeah, these are the people who are always looking for it." But somehow, a lot of times, it's a lot of innocent people that wind up opening the box, which is hilarious because <laughs> really, that's basically the, the the plot line of every Hellraiser movie. It's like poor it's son. fallen into the wrong hands and it's some <laughs> innocent like it's a kid or it's a mute girl that like opens the box and like brings pinhead to, you know so i like that he kind of maybe even poked fun at, at, at those stories a little bit by addressing that it's and, it's and pinhead's like no 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 you did it now we have to tear you apart that's pretty much we'll tear your soul apart um so, yeah, basically what happens here in New Orleans is the first person that comes through is one of the magicians who Pinhead um, took with him to be his, I don't know, his minion, I guess, whatever. Slave, kind of. Slave, yeah. So, uh, and then the action ensues. Pinhead comes face to face with Harry and, and basically allows Harry to, you know, to have a chance at escaping. And Harry does. Yeah. And that's kind of like where it it he knew who Harry was mm-hmm. like he knew that Harry uh, the backstory of Harry who would deal with like hell in different ways and stuff like that so he knew who Harry was and you got a feeling that that Pinhead had a you hear all that yelling outside dude is there like some kind of domestic violence being perpetrated like near you uh, it's either domestic violence or domestic bliss it all sounds the same nice um, uh, he, is, is there blue light coming through hang on. through the walls? No blue light. We're good. Okay. Um, yeah, I know, right? Oh no! Like, what if there was like a? That would be creepy if like I heard the music. <laughs> that would freak me out. Um, it, it, that's when you kind of get a feeling that uh, Pinhead has some sort of bigger interest in Harry because it's not. It, it's kind of not a big deal when he gets away. Right, so let's fast forward a little bit and kind of skip through some of the niceties. Um, Harry, <laughs> Pinhead comes back, and basically from what it's, you know, even from the synopsis, he, he takes Norma, and Harry now has um, him, and is it Kaz, and Dale, and some chick? Layla? La, La, Lana? Lana, yep. Lanolin? Yep. <laughs> they basically all go to hell to rescue um, Norma. Yeah. And we get to actually, we spend a, a significant amount of the book in hell. Yeah, I was, um, I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised by that. I kind of thought that that fight would happen more here, 
Um, but what, what happens is Pinhead, his whole plan with the magic was that he wants to take over hell. He basically wants to overthrow Lucifer and take over and become not just, you know, a, a hell priest, but the, the guy, the guy who runs the, the show. The Elvis of hell. Yep. Elvis. <laughs> Elvis. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself right now. So there's a little bit of backstory with what has been going on in hell and Lucifer's kind of been missing and, you know, and some of the things Pinhead does. But, yeah, shit just gets really crazy. So um, we get a walk into hell. When you were saying about comparing it to other books, I thought you were going to compare it to the Polonick book, which also took place mostly in hell. Oh, no. Breakfast Club in hell. Breakfast what was Club that called? in hell. Uh, damned. Damned. I thought that's what you were going to go with because in some ways less funny but similar kind of imagery. Uh-huh. Kind of in like a, yeah. Yeah, a muted mm-hmm. um, take on what, what happens in hell. Yeah, so um, we spend a lot of time in hell with Harry um, kind of going to, to rescue Norma with his, his group of people. Oh, and, there's, a, uh, there's a name for him. God damn it. Let's talk about this for a second. Let, let's talk about the big problem with this book. Okay. Can can I just, can I rant a little bit? Please, please. <sighs> Harry's Harrowers. Capital H, Harrowers. Right? Yep. Here's the problem that I have. I don't know that this, um, this group has ever been together, ever, <laughs> in one place at one time. Nobody addresses... Why they're called that way. The narrator starts calling them Harry's Harrowers with a capital H, but it's never talked about amongst the group. Like, there's no reason. It's never established within the story. It's only established in the narration. Right. And that's kind of a problem, isn't it? You would think so. Okay. The girl we talked about being born, given birth, and grown all the way to adulthood or whatever, didn't it seem like she should have played a part in this book somehow later on? Absolutely. Okay, she doesn't. Spoiler alert. (laughs) And the reason I'm ranting about this is that I think I know what happened here. There are a variety of things that to me felt like they weren't fleshed out enough. Um, Clyde Barker's been talking about this book for 10 years. I know what you're going to say. He talks about um, this being epic. It's 350 fucking pages. I mean, it's, it's not epic in scope at all. He talks about, um, if you go back through the interviews, how he's going to talk about the history of the Cenobites. Do you get any history on the Cenobites, Rob? I hardly anything about the Cenobites. Do you, do you know anything more about the Cenobites than you did before you started reading this book? Nope. You knew like they have a place. They have like like a house. Yeah, I know they have <laughs> like a, a palace. They're, they're, yeah, they've got a building in hell. Pretty much, and you know the Pinhead has now killed all of them, but you have no idea why they're Cenobites or what they well, do. That's kind of that, a spoiler. That was whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. I'm fucking mad, dude. I'm mad because here's what I think happened. I think Clyde Barker turned in like a 900-page fucking book. And they were like, oh, this is all great. Just cut out 600 pages of stuff, and we we have a a book deal. And and not only do I think that happened, but I think that they didn't even go back and edit enough for content to take out all the things that should have been addressed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like taking out the harrowers or putting in the part where fucking Dale or somebody goes, "Uh we're all Harry's harrowers, like where the characters address it or Pinhead calls them that or something so that then the narrator can call them that so that we can feel comfortable calling them that. So you're pissed off at Macmillan. 
I'm pissed off at somebody because I can't imagine from the things that Barker said, and, and it, it just seems to me like this was. I don't know that they do this anymore, but they used to have like the abridged audiobooks. I don't know if that's a thing anymore because digital now it does right. no longer 48 cassettes. It's just a digital file. It seems to me like this is the audiobook version of a 700 page book, and they cut out the stuff that wasn't really hmm. integral to the story. But they, they didn't clean it up enough, you know what I mean, to take out all evidence that there was more stuff thrown down on paper. Um, I could, yeah, I could, uh, that makes sense. There's definitely stuff in the story that just either never got uh, elaborated on or, or just never got established, yeah. It's either cut off from the front or the end. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it was a little disappointing because to a lot of people... Um, you know, this is a return to something they've known and loved for, you know, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you look forward to it, and then what, what gets delivered seems a little a little half-assed. I could see why you would be disappointed by that. Um, yeah. Can we talk about, but I want to say this before I forget about it. The, um, can we talk a little bit about Pinhead's uh, journey? Sure. Did you and, and without I'll, I'll give you a specific example, but I want to give this get an unbiased thought about this from you first. Were there any parts of his like execution of his plan that you were like, oh, that's just precious? Not that come to mind. No. Not one specific example where. <laughs> so it's it's how he killed his order. Oh yeah 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 okay. I fucking oh man. This is just, and it's almost like I want to see it drawn out as like a as a cute cartoon or something like, the life is cartoon but with Pinhead, nice uh, or love is or whatever it, I fucking whatever it is. Yeah, no, no, I know. What you... <laughs> um, are those cute little naked kids? Um, where <laughs> so he he again grabbing the magic from uh, from the world, uh, comes up with this uh, way that he can basically create these little origami birds. But he's written something on the paper that when the birds find their target, whatever magic happens and that person just dies basically by bleeding out of everything. And um, it's just such a precious image where Pinhead's got a little birdcage full of these little animated origami birds. And um, he's trying not to draw attention to himself, so he'll let like 10 or 15 out, and then he'll close the cage door again. And he'll walk a little bit, and then he'll let some more out. But then he gets to the point where he's like, I don't think anybody noticed. And he just, fuck it. And he tore the cage yeah, open and just, yeah. <laughs> just let them all out. And I was like, this is the most precious thing I've ever seen. Like, he's got this cute little plan, and he's done all this little cute work. Like, I can see him sitting down at a table, and it's like he's folding, and his tongue sticking out a little bit because he's, like, concentrating, you know? Just this adorable little, like, um, <laughs> image of Pinhead doing all these cute little origami birds that then like really crazily murder his order it was just it was so precious to me you're right and i guess i didn't picture it in that same way but i i it, it's interesting because that part to me kind of came around like you know he's got this power and you're right these origami birds first of all the concept's really really fucking cool that was really cool S second of all it's really understated because you know if i thought well how would pinhead do this he'd conjure some giant fucking ogre demons you know what i mean that would just like yeah. like trance around and then you're right that whole part where he's like yeah i'll let like a couple more out 
And then you're right. He's just fuck it. <laughs> it's, I'm done here. Just let's get this show on the road and, and lets them all out. And of course, yeah, they they obliterate all the other Cenobites and all the people in in the hell priest temple. I guess would probably be the right the right terminology for it. There was another precious part too. Um, now that I think about it, because my impression of of the hell priest Pinhead is that he is just like a picture of everything goes the way he expects it to. And um, he's always just he's uh, he's on his shit, right? Yep. Like he's got his shit together no matter what. Until that one door won't open, mm-hmm. and he just like petulantly pounds against it like a child. Yep. That was good stuff. There is um, there are a lot. So I ranted a little bit. Um, there are a lot of good things about this book. But it also feels like somebody really fucked it up along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Livius and I just spoke off the record, and I can't talk about But there was one thing that... Uh, something really cool that happened that, um, because of its placement in the book, we didn't hear what came after that. And I was kind of in my mind hoping that that would lead to something in another book or something like that. But um, that was a little disappointing to me because it was really cool. And it was something where, like, if you think about it in the greater history of religion it might have significance i will say that in the most you know what i'm saying yep i agree and yes i do think that the door was left open for a sequel yeah um i don't know that that's Gonna likely happen. to happen yeah it's uh, too bad um so anyway basically it gets to the point where harry's trying to kiff uh harry and his harrowers god i hate you just for saying it are trying to rescue what's her name? Norma. Norma. How could I not know that name? My brother's name is Norm. Um, just try, let's just picture your brother is the yeah, character. No, yeah, my brother's not African American or blind. Um, they're trying to rescue Norma from hell and Pinhead, who is on his own mission. And as you might guess, it all kind of culminates into a final shit show of craziness. Yeah. Uh, oh no, Livius didn't like the book. <laughs> no, I just there's so much good, but then there's so much wrong. And, and the, the other thing I'll say that was wrong, I don't know, it's kind of spoilery, so I guess I probably won't say it, but off the air. Again, one of the things that was promised was like the showdown between Harry and Pinhead. You know what didn't happen? A showdown between Harry and Pinhead. Oh, they fought for like a minute. Yeah, At about the beginning a minute. Of the book. Yeah, like, I mean, I just, it just seems like, I don't know, we can't put that in there, but again, it's not that I didn't like the book. I actually think I really liked, I liked what most people like, I think. I liked Pinhead. I liked his idea. I liked his journey to get to his idea. Um, It's no secret that this is going to be the final Pinhead book. So, I mean, you can kind of imagine what might happen. I don't want to spoil it, but I even liked the way the Pinhead story ended. Um, the the biggest problem I had, and this is kind of going into wrap up territory, if that's cool. I mean, I'm, you know what I mean. Like this isn't my wrap up, but we're kind of getting into that that area. Is that in a lot of points it felt more like a Harry Dam War story than a Pinhead one? Yeah, like he was the protagonist and not Pinhead. And I think what we really wanted was a big Pinhead story. Um, I I do love. That the 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 hate his hatred of the name Pinhead comes up, and I actually um, 
I, I actually kind of copied something from this might even be from Wikipedia, but basically in the first movie, he doesn't have a name. He's not addressed as Pinhead. That comes by in the second book. And that name was given to him by people who worked on the movie, the crew of the first Hellraiser film. Okay. Um, so Clyde Barker gave him the proper designation, Hell Priest, now. But people called him Pinhead. And throughout the book, Pinhead's not very fucking happy about it. Like, just, right? Like, yeah, everybody's like, they call oh shit, Pinhead. make sure you don't call him Pinhead. That'll really get him mad. Yeah, well, and that's the whole thing because A, those aren't pins, and B, like, he's a pretty fucking badass, scary fucking character. And to be given such a cheesy nickname, you know what I mean? To not have a more proper, I don't know, designation is is a little bit sad. That was good. That was good that they kind of, he addressed it, and it came up multiple times throughout the book. Now let's talk about something else that I have I have taken huge issue with. Remember when we reviewed The Night in the Lonesome October, and I think we talked a little bit about um, Richard Lehman, and when he did it, it, it was it was kind of endearing, and I think it's because he did it all the time. His characters always had time to, like, joke. Yeah. And, and, and you know, right after, or even in some cases during these really, you know, harrowing, harrowing, goddammit. Oh, Harry's <laughs> yeah, harrowing experiences. Yeah, yeah during his harrowing experiences. These fucking clowns that he's fucking running around with, Dale and Kaz and, <laughs> and, and the, what was the girl's name? I, don't, I couldn't even bother. Uh, like Lana so or something? It was an L Fucking name. terrible. Here's the other problem I have. Harry's tattoo artist is gay. Dale is gay. I don't have a problem with that. Fucking Dale is the, the, the Michael Scott of this fucking story, <laughs> right? Middle of hell, like demons are like literally shitting on them. And Harry's like, hey, can I uh, can I use your cane for a minute? And Dale's like, you can touch my cane whenever you want. Like, like, but it's through the entire fucking book. Am I wrong? The dialogue was so fucking terrible and forced every time Dale spoke. And even Lana, to that extent, the dialogue was terrible. Uh, I didn't really I wasn't offended by I wasn't I wasn't upset by the quality of it. But dude. Fucking Dale. I kept waiting for like a bunch of like, that's what she said. Like every time. But I mean, and, and yeah, to understand right. the context is Dale catches up with them. And five minutes later, they're in hell. Dale makes an appearance in New Orleans for a few minutes. And that's cool. Like he helps kind of rescue Harry from a situation. And he's kind of whatever flirting with Harry. And that's fine because they're in his house and Harry's recovering. Like, like that's cool. But literally, they're in hell. And all this guy can do is basically make dick jokes. To be fair, though, like one of the big things of the Dale character is that in his dreams, he sees what happens in the future. So he has kind of a framework of what's coming up. So he's probably not as off put by hell as like maybe someone else would be because he kind of knows what's coming. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's true. I'll I'll give you that. I I just I fucking hated that character. (laughs) I, I mean, I despise that character. And quite honestly, other than for him to make a bunch of weirdly timed gay remarks, I don't see what purpose he served. Like, I know he saw things that were going to happen, but even that, maybe there was more stuff cut out of the story where he was an important character. Because as far as I'm concerned, they didn't need Dale. There was like two or three times that his premonitions um, helped out. But yeah, that was just more of a plot contrivance than anything, if you ask me. 
yeah, I just I don't see where we needed him in that story. And, and my other thought was, too, is that Clyde Barker's gay. If a straight author would have written that kind of dialogue for a gay person, it would be borderline gay bashing. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not 100% just, in agreement with you on that, but... Yeah. I, I just couldn't stand how lightheartedly they took everything. I, yeah, I you should just I, lean out the window and ask the, uh, the neighbors. Yeah, hey, read this book real quick and tell me what you think. <laughs> My gay we'll wait. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, I had, I had a pretty significant issue with that, too. And some of that comes from... <sighs> Clyde Barker is an well-established author. Granted, the only stuff he's written in the last in 10 years or whatever has been kind of a, a young adult slash children series. Um, and he hasn't, I think he's only done like two or three of those. Um, but then it, it's put out, was it St. St. Martin's St. Martin's of the press for this? What did he say a minute ago? No, it was Macmillan. Oh, Macmillan. Macmillan is a pretty big press, which means there was an editor. So now I'm thinking <laughs> these, this terrible dialogue, these kind of, I don't want to say plot holes, but these, I don't know plot issues. Um, like it's dead just end roads. Too much. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It, it, I would be able to forgive some of this if this was a self-published book, <laughs> all right? If some guy wrote this and put it out there, and I'd be like, uh, probably didn't have anybody else look at this. In his head, it all makes sense. He remembers why he's calling them the harrowers. Nobody else, you know what I mean? Like, but this is an established author going through a major press with a book that's probably maybe going to end up on the New York Times bestseller list. And it just felt, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Felt like quotes. Yeah, felt like quotes. Let's do, I have two. Oh, God, are you serious? <laughs> Fuck, man. Oh, I've got like 30. Good, why don't you start? Um, I got. I think I got one of the Dale ones. I don't know if it's actually Dale, but this is the kind of thing Livius oh. is talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a conversation between two characters. So it's a den of sodomy. Not at the moment, but the day is young. Like that? Is that the kind of thing? Yeah, and and I think that that particular um, part didn't take place. Like, that didn't offend me because I don't think that was actually while they were in danger in hell, like crossing shit rivers and stuff. Like, I don't, you right. know. Uh, Harry has this dream. And in the dream, uh, he's in a bathroom and in the in the bathtub this like weird monster made of like hair and muck right mm-hmm. kind of rises up to attack him and um he doesn't know he's dreaming we we read this as if we don't know he's dreaming but we kind of know he's dreaming and um so it's kind of got a dream reality to it but he uh throws his jacket or coat or something some piece of clothes clothes onto the monster to try and distract it to buy time to try and get away from it. And um, I just really like the way this was written. The creature reached up to tr- uh, the creature reached up trying to rid itself of the burden, but its hands were made for murder, not for tending shrouds. And in its frenzy threw its whole body back and forth, causing some of its fluids to escape the fragile cage of its making. Hands were made for murder, man. That wasn't bad. It was good. Can I uh, can I do one? Yeah. There are a bunch of demons that are getting their shit torn up. I guess that's really all the explanation <laughs> you need for this. 
this is kind of and, and this is twofold this i think demonstrates the type of um really gross stuff that happens but then some what i'm gonna call poor writing the stomach of one had been hooked and hauled up through his throat the face of another was emerging from his butthole like a prodigious bowel movement was emerging from his butthole yeah i was muting myself because of that motorcycle that's it but you know i mean so i'll finish it from the gross standpoint their anatomies could not sustain such violent disfigurements the demons tore their bodies opening like overripe fruit spilling their contents as they did so the imagery was really really gross and if if, you know if you and good for what it was it's a bunch of demons like fighting in hell but another face emerging from his butthole like a prodigious bowel movement yeah that was i almost quoted that one but then i was like i don't want to think about that again so no but my issue with that is and that's not so dale you can say well that's the kind of guy dale is like that's the kind of dumb shit he says <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but this is this is the narrator his butthole <laughs> you just have a problem with butthole don't you i just it seemed like there's probably a better way to phrase that that probably would have been more um i don't know more serious more gross i, in, I think this just kind of yeah, that kind of took away from like an editor should have been like, you know, like can we change this to anus? Yeah, like that's it. Like yeah. that's all that needed. And I probably wouldn't have quoted it. Yeah, I mean, I might have quoted it from a gross factor, but I wouldn't have quoted it in the, you know, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you probably have good ones. I, I'm gonna pick this up mid sentence because I'm not really sure where to. Um, it doesn't make sense to go all the way to the beginning of the sentence for just the end of the sentences, which is the good part of the quote. Um, the booth where guests had paid their entrance fee and received a key for a little changing room where they could shed their public skins and don the masks of who they really were. I thought that was a nice flip on the whole idea of, of like the mask shows you who they really are. Yep. No, no, there was some good stuff. I got, I got a couple more. Um, do a couple more and then I've got a, fairly long one that I actually kind of liked. Um, this is the, the the perspective of the magician who became a slave to uh, Pinhead, um, which I thought was kind of interesting, too, uh, who basically this magician had lived a life of, like, rich, you know, being a rich guy who had magic and, and comfort and things like that. It was only now, as a slave to a demon, that Felixen was again free to begin the long journey of self within self, the journey from which the getting of magic had distracted him. Living in hell kept him aware of the possibility of heaven, and he'd never felt more alive. He was a really good character, and quite honestly, next to Pinhead, probably my favorite one. It was really twisted, but there was like a lot of like deeper meaning in him. Yeah, and he's the guy who who gets to you know we kind of see Pinhead through his eyes, yeah. but as a very subservient. Yeah, you know, a guy who's enslaved, but we see Pinhead through his eyes, and in his ways, I kind of think he grew to love Pinhead. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is from the Hell Priest himself. All is death, woman. All is pain. Love breeds loss. Isolation breeds resentment. No matter which way we turn, we are beaten. Our only truth, our only true inheritance is death, and our only legacy, dust. Some cheerful stuff from Mr. Pinhead. 
I want you to know that in listening to you read that, I can assure you, you will never be a hell priest. Did I too much? You are so far less intimidating. Too much pep in my step. Yeah. Doug Bradley, man, he does such a fucking good job with that. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to read one. This one I actually liked. Um, this is from Lana, who I didn't like, but she didn't create these words. The author did. I don't think that's how life works, said Lana, but at least it's something you can depend on from the moment we enter this fucked up world. I think babies cry when they're born because they're born with the knowledge of all the terrible shit that's going to happen to them. That's why I never had kids. Every life is a death sentence. We just forget it later in life, like dreams we lose the second we wake up. Whether we worry about it or not, the shit's still going to fly. The important thing is we're here, at least for now. That was mine, too. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. I got like 30. You've got a few. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I'm pretty much done. Livius, this next quote I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you after I read this about the significance of something, but I want to, I just want to hit this, get this out unbiased. I'm sure you're an excellent breeder, Kaz said, but I don't need pictures of the kids. What do you think of when you hear the word breeder? Does it um, have like any kind of connotation of sexual orientation? Um, yes. Okay. Being, being a member of the gay community in many ways, uh, as a straight man, um, breeder is just a term for like straight people who have babies, like, and they're oh, just referred to as breeders. Oh God, I guess that that makes that kind of makes sense, but oh, that's so weird though because you have to think about it. those same people that use that term. Yeah, had to be bred by somebody. Like it's a derogatory term. It, it comes off as a derogatory term, right? Right. Yeah. But then it's a derogatory term that if we get rid of the breeders, I'm doing this in quotes, breeders. Yeah. <laughs> the same people who said it wouldn't have been around. Well, I mean, that's the problem with all derogatory terms, I think. Well, not necessarily that, but like. <laughs> I was like, wait, I'm trying to figure out how that works. I, <laughs> I had 18, 18 terms went through my mind. I was like, no, no, no. Not no. exactly that, but you know what I mean. No, no, accurate. No, no, <laughs> accurate. <laughs> what I meant was there's a short sightedness to derogatory terms. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, that is. That's very true. So. <sighs> Breeder. So, yeah. or, you know, um,. Now, now that I think that we're talking about breeders, uh, there's that one song. Did they do that song, Zombie? You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yes. From like the, the '90s. Mm-hmm. Hang on. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm on my uh, my music right now. I just want to make sure I'm right about that. We're right, like 1993-ish. Yeah. Oh, they had Cannonball. Who did Zombie? What was it the Pixies? No. no. Um, uh, great. Now I got to find that. <laughs> <laughs> this is all really just riveting podcasting. Uh, well, it's better than me ranting about the cranberries. That's what I was thinking of. All right, so the Breeders did that song Cannonball, which is a great song. Oh, wait, is that... God, I almost sang on the podcast again. I know it's not the song I want, but God damn it. The, the song hits me like a cannonball. Is it Menudo? <laughs> uh, it's... Hang on. It's kind of like this. Let's see if it plays. Okay, I know that. Can I can I play a, a little bit of the song? In the middle of the song. <laughs> the <first one. laughs> That's Cannonball. Okay, let me tell you what I thought of. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think that Skype is blocking my ability to play audio. Oh, no, I played that off my phone. Oh, hey, do me a favor. Look up Menudo like a Cannonball. 
Wait, this is gonna be fucking riveting podcasting. Menudo, as in like M E N U D O. Hang on, I have to go to YouTube for this. Yes. Yeah, I, Skype cuts out my yeah. Why is it Chobas watched? <laughs> oh, you know what? Because I'm I'm in I'm. Oh, here's a commercial. This is great podcasting. Skip ad. <laughs> but why does the Chobas watch though? Is awesome. By the way. <laughs> Can you hear it? Yep. I'm already terrified. We're gonna play like the whole thing. We could just talk over it. That'd be even better. Alright. I had another quote. Yeah, read your quote. I can't, I can't. I'm gonna switch apps. YouTube will stop. Alright, we're done with this, right? Yeah, it's alright. This is a terrible music video, too. Well, I think part of it is that they're in a pinball machine, but the song's called Cannonball, but they're Mexican. I don't think they knew the difference. Yeah, I didn't see any cannons in the video at all. There's definitely some continuity errors in the video. The video. Maybe they couldn't get a cannon, and they needed to make the best of... <laughs> I get the feeling there's going to be a lot of continuity errors in this episode. I know. I have to edit this. Um, <laughs> so this is toward the end of the book, um, and I'm not going to really explain what's going on because it's a little spoilery, but um, the lament configuration might make a reappearance, maybe. But this, I just like the, I like the wording of the sentence. Somewhere in the no names land between crawl space and dream space, where the brute simplicity of brick and timber lost faith in itself, something slid over the threshold. That was pretty good, and and, and ultimately, ultimately the end of the book was not bad. Right. Um, it was definitely left open for a a sequel. Um, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Probably not. You want to do a wrap up? Yes, I, I will. I will happily wrap this bad boy up. Ten ish years in the making, a thirty year old horror story. Um, what what in my opinion is probably the greatest um, horror villain character, whatever of all time, makes a reappearance. You get excited. Um, Harry Moore, who appeared in um, the Great and Secret Show, and uh, Everville, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he just showed up in Everville, which was the the sequel. But um, had some short stories. There was a movie um, years ago where um, the guy from, from uh, God damn it, the guy from what was that time travel show? Um, Quantum Leap. Scott Bakula. Yeah, Scott Bakula played him. He's a cool character. We didn't even talk about his tattoos. He has a series of tattoos that are um, supernatural that warn him about dangers and stuff. Lots of cool stuff going on with both those characters. Um, ultimately, I, I don't want to blame Clive because I really think that he turned in a much, much bigger book. And, and what we got was um, just a portion of that, the, the bite-sized version of it. Um, I was really happy to see Pinhead. Really, really happy with Pinhead's story th- throughout this. I'm really kind of disappointed in Harry and the, the air quotes, the harrowers, um, because they were by and large terrible in my opinion. Um, we didn't get the history of the Cenobites that we we heard we would get. Um, we didn't get the big showdown between Harry and uh, 
and and Pinhead that I, that we were told we were going to get. It, it seems like there were a lot of promises made, and I understand they were early on, but if you're going to close out something as big as this is, at least in the horror community, it probably needed a little more care than this. Um, I had some issues with the dialogue. I thought a lot of it was forced and, and kind of silly. Um, but ultimately, there were a lot of good things that happened. The, the violence and the gore were great. I think they were in true pinhead fashion. I, I think that fans of the Hellraiser series would not be disappointed at, at some of the, the macabre and, and gross stuff that we see. Um, so basically, if you take Harry out of this book and his little group of people, this this probably would be a five-star book. Um, unfortunately, they took up a good, good portion of it, probably more than they deserved. Um, so I'm going to... Yeah, I was so mixed on this. I go, I went back and forth from being really excited about it even after I read it to really kind of hating it. So I think I'm probably going to land right in the middle at like three stars. Wow. I, I didn't know what to expect because I knew this had a lot of, um, like a lot writing on it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, three stars. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, that falls into I liked it. Yeah, the good was good. The bad just, unfortunately, was also bad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's ugh, such mixed feelings about this one. All right, well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story of me um, knowing anything about the Pinhead uh, uh, world at all. Um, the day that I sat down to read this book, which was Sunday, the day before we were recording this, I watched all of Hellraiser. <laughs> And then I sat down and I read the entire book. <laughs> so my entire day yesterday, uh, of yesterday of, of when we were recording this, was just immersed in the world of this kind of fucked up story. Um, so maybe that's why it just all worked a little better for me, because I didn't have like um, years to build up appreciation and, and know the bigger story and really kind of like um, love it. I just experienced it all at once. Um also, I didn't know anything before this, and I didn't know nearly as much as Livius did, so uh, I don't think I had the um, the kind of build-up he did. It was really just kind of another story for me, which um, how many times have we and will we in this podcast um, have a situation where there's some legendary author who is it's their first book in a long time, and we're going to read it because Livius loves all his other stuff, and it's the first book I'm reading by that author. Like, how many times can that possibly happen? We've got to be running out of times. I mean, right? <laughs> I just thinking on the way home, I was like, fuck, man, this is another one of those situations um, where I'd never read something by something that, like, anybody who loves books has read. Um, that being said, I think Livius is pretty much dead on. The, um, <clears throat> the pinhead parts of the book, the hell priest, really wicked stuff that goes on is just spot on horror in in um in a big way in a in a really disturbing way um the harry and the harry and henderson's part of it was um more comic relief almost and 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 almost to the level of if you've read something by like almost to the level of satire like the type of characters you'd expect from christopher moore or sg brown would that be fair to say um yeah yeah um which didn't work as much for me, but I don't think I was as disappointed in Livius again because I didn't have any um, hopes to be dashed. Um, overall, I thought the story was good, um, but as Livius <laughs> ranted and ranted and ranted, 
um, it did become clear to me that in retrospect there are some holes and unfortunate situations that could probably be handled better. Um, I didn't hate Dale, though. I thought Dale was kind of just this funny little queen, which was okay. Um, I don't know. All in all, I enjoyed the book, and um, I'd read more stuff. Probably um, as a new reader, um, which if any of you out there are, um, it would it would give me enough to want to go back and try the earlier stuff, and obviously Clive Barker's name alone should do that. But um, I enjoyed the writing style and everything, and um, overall, I thought it was good. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go three and a half. A couple quick thoughts before we move on. First, I was going to say fuck Dale, but then I imagine Dale being like, "Anytime you want, big boy," because <laughs> that's exactly what would happen. Come on over, sister. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, second, I, um, one of the things I guess I didn't mention when you said going back and reading his other stuff, although this had the story had the big, big scope, it didn't feel uh, most a lot of his books. I should say, I don't know if I should say most because I don't know if that's fair, have huge world changing scope kind of to them. And this one, although it had a huge, huge story, didn't feel that way. It mm. felt like a smaller story, which is kind of weird now that I think about it. I think about like Everville and. And Magica and, you know, any rate. Can I tell you? Because you know how much I love dream sequences, right? I, yeah, it's your favorite thing in the world. Fucking, I got to tell you that I had my <laughs> own personal dream sequence. And, of course, everybody's going to want to hear about this, right? Because everyone loves hearing about that's other the, people's yeah, dreams. That's that's what it is, yeah. This past Friday, Chuck Polidick was in Chicago um, with Irvine Welsh. And, of course, I saw a smattering of stuff on my Facebook about it on, on Friday, I think. Well, no, he was here on Saturday. On Friday, he was in um, in Kansas City, right? I haven't been following, but I'll I'll believe Where it. Brandon Teets was at a at a reading. Then Richard Thomas went to a reading. So for two days, my feed was filled with Chuck Palahniuk stuff. Last night, I have a goddamn dream <laughs> that I got to hang out with Chuck Palahniuk. Um, the only other person that I recognized in the dream. <laughs> Was and I, I can't. Uh, I feel bad. I can't remember his name. What's the guy who uh, who just did the movie, the Starry Eyes movie? Dennis Woodmere. Yes, Dennis Woodmere was cool enough because we met for like two and a half minutes in um, in Minneapolis. Was cool enough to like invite me along to hang out with them. We basically sat outside at a picnic table for like an hour, just shooting the shit with Chuck Palahniuk. You had a picnic table talk dream. Yeah, and it was weird because it was a picnic table. It was in Chicago, and it was by Montrose and, like, like Laramie, Austin. Maybe more like Austin. It was oh, by where I used to like work. Like Albany Park? Like, yeah, like a little bit further west than that. But, yeah, that's, like, we were sitting just on a street corner. There was this picnic table that we sat <laughs> at for a while. Yeah, it was one of those weird things. Anyway, it, it was just me. That's, uh, that's, that's somehow literary related because in my dream, I hung out with Chuck Palahniuk and Dennis Widmeyer. I, I have a dream that I had last night. Oh, oh, please share. Um, so I went to a grocery store, a little tiny mom and pop place, not like a, a, a chain grocery store. And um, I don't remember what I was shopping for, but um, I, I had a bunch of stuff, and it was like the, it was obvious that the store <laughs> was, was it closing. Beer? Were you shopping for beer? Because oh, really, let's oh. be honest, that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Were you in the dream? Did no, you, but you don't buy we, food. Did we share dreams? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was really excited because I found this one beer. <laughs> Not even making this up. Uh, that's that's kind of rare, and I found one bottle of it, and I was like, "Oh man, I gotta grab this." And um, 
get up to the checkout and it's obvious that the, the store is closing. Like I'm like the last customer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, the person's talking to me. The cashier is talking to me while he's helping this other person. So I know he knows I'm there. And then the other person got done. And while they were finishing up with that person, I was like, oh, I don't need all these pens because I grabbed a bunch of pens and I went to put them somewhere and I couldn't find where they went. So it's gone 20 seconds and I come back. And everybody's just gone. And I was like, uh, I waited around a few minutes because I thought they were just coming back or whatever. And like, in you know, dream time gets fucked up and everything. And mm-hmm. I see these people. And I'm like, hey, guys, I've been waiting like 20 minutes. Who's going to ring me up? And then they were, they were mad at me that I was still there. It was really weird. But then because they had made me wait so long and it was obvious they just didn't want to help me, I asked them to look and see if they had more bottles of that beer. <laughs> I was just being a jerk. It was a really weird dream. That is, uh, that is, yeah. Well, I can tell you they hated you because as a person who works in retail, that's a thing. They abandoned me, dude. They wouldn't, they just abandoned me. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> that is my dream. All right. Abuse. Retail abuse. Now, now that now that we got the dream um, sequence portion of the podcast out of the way, a um, couple noteworthy things. Listeners, I am asking for your help. We have three more book reviews to do before we go on our lazy summer of podcasting, where we don't review a book for like six or eight weeks. Now, here's what happened. This is what I woke up to today. This news. E.L. James is re-releasing Fifty Shades of Grey, told from the point of view of Christian Grey. Rob is going to say three more books, and then we're done for the summer. And I am saying... All of you need to petition Rob for us to review this book. You motherfucker. (laughs) Now, here's my reasoning. E.L. James was so able to accurately capture the inside of the the female mind in in that first book. We didn't read all three. I'm assuming that the other two continued on in the same fashion. I can only imagine what she does with a book from a point of view of a man. Do you remember we talked about this idea in Mm -hmm. in the review? Do you remember what we said? No, that I don't remember. I think that we were asking, I think that we posed the question, what would the reception be if it was written instead from his perspective? Mm -hmm. That it wouldn't be so nice that it would be like, this is an abusive asshole. Yep. Now we have the opportunity. We almost have to revisit it, but if we did, we'd have to get Amanda involved. We would probably have to get Amanda involved, although her, well, yeah, I mean, I guess getting a female perspective of the male point of view. I think because originally we had Amanda on because we were thinking, we need a woman to talk about this book, too. What we need to do is find a a guy that would be suitable to review this. Not that I don't love Amanda, and you know I do, but we would almost need, you know what I mean? Well, we're guys. Well, we are, but we're also... um, I, I was going to say we're, I was trying to come up with a nice way to say that we're impartial when it comes to books and stuff, but fuck, I guess we're really not. <laughs> um, we are as objective as probably you'd find anybody being. Yeah, I guess that's true. At any rate, so I think the listeners need to personally petition Rob for a review because I, I looked at this. This book literally drops the day we would do or we would post our review for the last book before we go into the summer, which means it would fit very nicely in that following week. Uh, all right all right well uh well i guess we'll see the if we get enough of a reaction or if we find someone uh cool to like co-review it or something um i, I could probably see myself breaking down and doing it 
when it drops. <laughs> I like I said, I ex- I fully expect it to be terrible. That's not going to stop me from wanting to review something. <laughs> um, but I, I just couldn't. So, God, like she didn't milk this fucking cow dry already. I, I mean, if there's ever it. a fucking. Admi- I mean, if there's ever a fucking admission that you just have no other story to tell, it's that I rewrote it from a different perspective. Now, now let's let's be mm-hmm. let's let's do that objective thing. <laughs> Maybe it's fucking brilliant from Christian's point of view. Maybe his inner prince. Oh, is that was so the much first thing I thought it was like um, <laughs> the inner goddess. We don't get to see that, and the um, subconscious. If if Christian has a subconscious, I'm gonna fucking murder the world. Because he let's almost, go back. Yeah. The subconscious is a part of your brain that your conscious mind does not have interaction with. That was my entire beef with her talking about mm-hmm. what her subconscious was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm already I, angry. Did you didn't see the movie? Did you? No. Did you? Uh, yeah, I, I watched oh, most man. of the movie, and and, and I I fell asleep, but. To, to be really honest, it, it was um, in a lot of ways kind of like the Scarlet Gospels. I was like, a major fucking motion picture studio made this, and some of it's just really fucking terrible. You know what I mean? Like again, kind of the same thing. Like these are professionals doing this. If this came out of a a, a small studio film, I don't remember what my specific with it were, but I was stunned at um at how bad some of the like directing was and some of the dialogue. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like it was just poorly produced. I'm not super surprised by that. No, no, but what I'm saying is shitty story aside, you know what I mean? It's like you go to see the Avengers, right? And and I haven't seen the Yeah, oh I know what you're getting at. Yeah. But like they're like, hey guess what? Idiots are coming to watch this, so we don't even have to try. Yeah, so any rate. But yeah, so hit Rob up. Post on our Facebook page, book podcast, listening group. Call him on his fucking cell phone if you have his number. <laughs> Whatever it takes, let's get this done. Um, while you're doing stuff, um, why don't you head over to the website and um, sign up for our newsletter? We have a newsletter. <laughs> now, let's talk <laughs> about this newsletter a little bit because yep. right now there's no fucking news. Okay, so here's... <laughs> So we're putting together last minute notes because Rob had to work late and whatever. So <laughs> I'm not going to attribute this to anybody. But this the note that's on here to talk about the newsletter is a direct quote from one of us. And it says, we have a fucking newsletter now. That's a thing. That was exactly <laughs> what was said as to make mention of the newsletter. So we were told we need a newsletter. Yeah. And then we told that person, if you set it up, we will then have a newsletter and then they set it up. Um, yeah. Now we're compelled to use it. But there is a, um, the, what do you call it? An incentive. And it's beyond the people yelling outside my window is if you sign up for our newsletter, you will get a free ebook copy of the book anthology, either as a PDF, Mobi or EPUB. Yeah. That's going to, yes, um, which is cool. <laughs> Why? Um, most of you, I would have to imagine that, listen, probably already purchased the book. The ebook, which was not as widely purchased as the paper book, includes two exclusive stories that do not appear in print. And they are stories written by Rob Olson. Sound familiar? Yeah, sounds like me. Yeah, yeah sounds a lot like you. And Pela Via. Um, both stories are excellent. 
um, and not available in paper form. So there's your incentive. Even if you own it and you read it cover to cover, guess what? You didn't read it all because we kept some, especially for the digital edition. That's right. And that and this goes for all of our new listeners as well. Like if you're a new listener and you haven't gotten the book anthology because we never talk about it, there's a chance to get a free copy of a book that's got 27 stories by authors who have been on this podcast for free. Yep, absolutely. We'll have other things in the works. Like, um, the, like you know what? I, I think that it was a great idea to offer only people who are members of the newsletter at live events, hosters, and bookmarks, and some of the other cool swag that we have. Yeah, I'm all I'm all about exclusivity. So mm-hmm. we come up with a good idea. If you guys, if you newsletter people, if you newsies, uh, I'm just kidding. We shouldn't call you that. Um, harrowers, if you're uh, newsletter harrowers. Um, have a suggestion of, of swag that you want, let us know. Yep. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. We're not going to bug you frequently. You'll probably get an email when there's a new episode up. You may get something offbeat, um, you know, if something cool happens or comes up, but it will not be a daily thing. We promise you won't want to put us on ignore right away. And if you do, that's fine. Don't unsubscribe. Just just set that email to go directly to your <laughs> to your trash so that we can just have more subscribers, whatever that means. I don't even understand this internet thing. I don't know how it works. All I know is that this is important, that we have a newsletter. And I think that we're giving away a pretty goddamn cool thing. So head over to the website and uh, put in your email address. I believe that's all you have to do. And then sit and wait patiently by your email box for us to send you stuff. <laughs> Just looking, just refreshing the emails. Indeed. Now, do you know who has a story in there who's, uh, and, and, and a book we're going to be reviewing here very, very shortly? Oh, I do. And um, I know because I co-edited it. It's um, the author Paul Tremblay, uh, who is now on... All right, when we met Paul, he was just a lowly guy at Cheezine, which is a, it, it's a good publisher, but like... It's not one of the big six, right? That Yeah, it is not. That is correct. Now this dude is on William Morrow with his new book, A Head Full of Ghosts. Um, so, so I, I and I think, and I, I might be wrong about this, but, uh, I mean, he's doing good. Publishing well, the book, publishing the book the Anthology, Major Six Publisher. Let's talk about that. Six-figure deal for two books. Nothing wrong with that. Not too shabby. But let me say, that guy deserves it. He is the coolest. On top of that, Focus Films bought his the rights to this book to make into a movie that's going to be produced by fucking Iron Man. <laughs> that's right. Iron Man is making his movie. And we know him. We hung up. We hung out with him. Not Iron Man. Paul Tremblay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Who was the nicest guy? Because like, we were pretty drunk and whatever, and he was just kind of putting up with our shenanigans, which makes him fucking awesome. So... um Remember I'm, when you I'm, fucking I'm, made fun of me about math in the interview? Well, yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yes. I don't want to go into I that, just... but he did. He totally made fun of me. Um, so here's um, can, can I can I do a little bit of spoiler here? I started this book. I already got chills reading this fucking book, and I'm like seventy-ish page, maybe seventy, eighty pages in. I'm gonna be so angry when this book is like super scary, and we didn't hold off till October. We shouldn't hold off until October because this motherfucker is hot off the presses. It comes out uh, today, depending on when you're listening. So, I mean, that's that's how fresh it is. I started it today. I'm probably going to finish it on uh, two days from now. So, yeah, on my day off, that's my plan is to knock out the rest of, uh, of Tremblay's book. Very excited about this one. 
And you'll be hearing it very soon because we will be back onto a schedule where Patreon listeners get the episodes on a Monday and everybody else gets it on Tuesday like normal, which is very soon. Rob's going to start reading his books on Saturday instead of Sunday is what he's trying to say. Um, I've had a very busy schedule. I don't know if I told you this, but I got I got a promotion. I know. And congratulations. I didn't know if we were going to talk about that on the podcast or not. Congratulations, sir. Thank you very much. It's uh, It's been a lot of work getting me to this point. There's a lot of people I want to thank. First of all, I want to thank my mother, um, God, um, Paul Tremblay. <laughs> I was waiting <laughs> hey. for you to stop me. <laughs> We have a fucking newsletter now. That's a thing. <laughs> that is a thing. Um, uh, that's going to wrap it up for, <laughs> for this episode of Booked. Come back for Paul Tremblay in, in nary a week's time. Maybe you'll get a newsletter by then. Probably not. Um, but yeah, come on back soon. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Stedden. Keep reading.